Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 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 Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776, the telephone number. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. On Instagram, IGJHood as we broadcast live from our first Midwest bank studios. Strong, trusted, first Midwest bank. On the program tonight, we will hear from Justin Tinsley from the Undefeated.com. Even though the NCAA said, uh, never mind about that Rich Paul rule, we still will talk about what the NCAA tried to put across as far as the quote-unquote Rich Paul rule. What did it mean? What was the NCAA trying to accomplish with that? We'll talk about that with Justin Tinsley, who wrote a terrific column on the Undefeated.com. We'll talk to him coming up at the bottom of the hour here on ESPN 1000. Also, the summer of football. We celebrate the great game of football every single night, 8 o'clock. It could be something fantasy. It could be something pro. It could be something college. Tonight, we talked to our friend Adam Rittenberg, who does a great job covering college football. Ball for ESPN.com. What's Adam's expectations for the Big Ten? Uh, what are some of the storylines we got to get, look, look forward to? Because college football is right around the corner, so we'll talk to Adam about that. Chicago Zone coming up uh, at 8.10. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Also, when the Cubs and the Phillies go final, we'll have your post-game show at about 9 or so. We'll see what happens. It is the Cubs, you know. Now, sometimes it's a two-and-a-half-hour game, sometimes three, sometimes three-and-a-half. Who knows? We'll try to get some Cubs conversation in in our 9 o'clock hour. And also, we'll hear from Jesse at the bottoms of the hour. Jesse Rogers covering the Cubs and Phillies for us here on ESPN 1000. We'll hear from him with updates at the bottoms of the hour right here on ESPN 1000. And, oh, my, you know, if it's Tuesday and if it's 930 Every single Tuesday at 9.30, we give you the best in pro wrestling and sports entertainment conversation. It is Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. If you haven't followed by now, where you been? Follow along at Wrestling TWT. That's where you can find me on Instagram and Twitter talking about pro wrestling. We'll talk about SummerSlam, NXT, TakeOver Toronto that took place. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan or know of one, tell them to tune at 9.30. Casey Joyner 
who writes a column about the WWE on ESPN.com. He's going to be with us at 930 and plenty of time for your thoughts as well. 312-332-ESPN. Hope that you had a great Tuesday. Hope that you have a great Tuesday night as we keep you company until 10 o'clock. That is Dan Levitard, Stu Gatz, and Greg Cody right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let me start here, Davis. Let's talk about the uh, the Bears and the NFL here before we hear from Justin Tinsley on this uh, story regarding the Rich Paul rule. So, I don't know if you have noticed this or not. Maybe it's still early for some of you. But when it comes to odds about the Bears, many have their opinion across the Las Vegas landscape, right? So, I'll give you an example. Bovada. Bovada says that the Bears are plus 160 to win the NFC North. The Packers are plus 195. The uh, Minnesota Vikings are plus 240. And the Lions, plus 1,000. They were dreadful for the last decade. And so even Vegas looks at the odds and says, no, the Lions are not going to win the NFC North. And if they do, they're plus 1,000. You'll be uh, pretty rich. But plus 160, the odds for the Bears to win the NFC North, as far as Bovada is concerned. And then when you take a look at other places like uh, Superbook USA, uh, as far as I could tell over the last 48 hours or so, the indication is that the Chicago Bears, the Vikings, and the Packers are pretty close. They're currently 2-1 to one odds to win the NFC North, where the Lions are 9-1. to one. So everyone has their opinion about what the Bears are going to do in the NFC North. But what about the NFC? Because I believe that the Bears have a tight window here to win the NFC. There's going to be growing pains when it comes to this conference, right? I mean, there's going to be some teams like Arizona and the 49ers. They're trying to figure themselves out as far as their offense is concerned. And then you have teams, good teams like Seattle. And let's take a look at the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Vikings trying to find themselves. And then there are those that are favorites. What I will give you here tonight are six teams that the Bears should be wary of here in the NFC. It's one thing to go bit by bit, game by game, living and dying with the Bears, winning and losing after every game. But to me, I believe the Bears are good enough to be in the playoffs. I've said this since the schedule came out. I had a gut feeling about 10-6. and It might be maybe better than that by the time we get to the regular season uh, when the Bears and Packers start off in September. But I felt good about 10-6 and six for the Bears is still being a playoff team. Whether that's first place, wild card, however it's going to go, I believe that the Bears are good enough from a personnel standpoint to be able to be in the playoffs. But I believe that it's more than just looking and looking at one game at a time. Never believe what the players and the coaches tell you. They always will tell you over the years, we just look at games one game at a time, one game at a time. That doesn't mean that we as fans have to look at one game at a time. I'm confident that the Bears will make the playoffs, especially if they're blessed with good health, because the personnel tells me they're good enough. However, there's always other things you have to look at, other things in the NFC, in the conference, that you have to be wary of. Before we talk about these six, I'm going to give you six teams to look at that I think the Bears should be very concerned with. Let's hear from Mitch Trubisky, because Trubisky got a chance to talk to the press earlier today at Hallis Hall. A number of things Trubisky talked about. He really dug in about meeting with Matt Nagy and talking about the progression of the offense. 
Just talking about like where we're at right now with the offense, how I'm doing, just like checking in, uh, just being on the same page, speaking the same terminology, and just keep progressing and keep getting better and keep getting on the same page. So we're going to continue to have those meetings and just conversations to stay on the same page. Um, and, and he lets me know where I'm at and where we want to go and how we want to uh, build this offense into what we want it to be. Where is that? Where are you in the offense? It's good. We're still progressing, getting better every day. I think we threw a lot. Um, at myself in the offense uh, throughout training camp and um, whether it's adding adding more new stuff or pulling back a little bit and keeping it simple allowing the offense to play fast allowing me to play fast and just um, he just wants me to go out there and be the point guard distribute the ball to our playmakers and that's really all I got to do within this offense just stay on top of everything um, continue to master it go through it know what I got to do within my job and just get the ball to the playmakers you simplifying things the other day is, sure. has that happened yet or is that more of a big picture thing that you um, it, it's kind of a big picture thing, and uh, especially when we get closer to game week, uh, a lot of the, the more simpler stuff or the game plan stuff, it's game plan specific for who we're playing. Um, but right now we're going against our defense, and they're doing a lot of different stuff. And so we're trying to get a lot of plays that we have, just get them reps so we're able to watch them on film, correct them, and, and kind of throw it against the wall and see if it's sticking or not. Um, but we, we also have our bread and butters, the, one, the ones that I feel really comfortable with, the one that coach is comfortable with, the ones that we can call all the time and just go out there and roll and, uh, and play fast. So you just got to find that balance, and we kind of figure that out through the training camp, and that's just something we got to talk about and stay on the same page with. Thoughts there from Mitch Trubisky when it comes to the Bears and the offense with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Let's talk more about that bread and butter right situation, right? Like, I mean... This is something that Trubisky and Nagy have talked about as far as a simplified list of plays for Mitch Trubisky, the bread and butter list. Let's, I mean, are there more plays on this bread and butter list that we heard about last year? Definitely. I would just say because we, we've got a lot more reps in. When it's when it's the second year in the offense, you kind of know what you really like um, and what has worked from year one going into year two. So you, the more you rep and play, obviously, the more comfortable you get with it. And um, we just have a, a huge library, but we definitely have our go-to plays. And I think there's more of those just because we're, we're able to get more reps over year one to year two. So we just carry those over and uh, continue to get better at the plays. And uh, we got a bunch of new plays that we like as well. So it's just find that balance. And, and it, is, it, it helps our offense when I'm playing fast and the receivers are playing fast and the O-line is just getting up and going. And we're just IDing the defense and playing. Everybody's on the same page. Okay. Bread and butter list extended. We'll see what happens with this offense. But I told you yesterday is something I'm still holding firm on, and that is the offense has to be better for the Bears to increase their chances of getting to the Super Bowl, for them to be able to have longevity in the playoffs. Because otherwise it doesn't work, right? You've got to be able to do more than what we saw offensively. And it wasn't bad. Make sure that it's – I'm underlining that point – that it's, it wasn't bad last year, but you always want to improve every year offensively. So when I look at the Bears, to me it's a tight window to win because you start to see young quarterbacks, you start to see young coaches, defenses being able to step to the forefront and grow as a team when you take a look at this NFC. So at the top of the list, when it comes to six teams I'm looking at in the NFC that the Bears should be wary of, whether they're on the schedule this year or not, that's irrelevant. What I'm looking at is who the Bears face after the 16 games. I'm not taking it one game at a time. What I'm looking at is the Bears and sizing them up versus other teams in the NFC. So when we look at the Rams of Los Angeles and we see Jared Goff, you know what happened with the Rams last year. Bears beat the Rams at Soldier Field. Great. 
but the Rams were the kings of the NFC last year. And so Jared Goff as a quarterback is going to continue to grow. It is surprising to me that Jared Goff is as good as he is right now, quite frankly, because I saw him in college and you saw that first year. And I wasn't sure, but there was a, an immediate growth spurt with the combination of Sean McVay as a head coach and Jared Goff as a quarterback. A strong defense led the Rams to the Super Bowl. A strong offensive line was able to really help uh, this Rams team get to the mountaintop to get to the Super Bowl. McVay got to the mountaintop before Nagy. And so hats off to the Rams. Not sure if they can repeat this upcoming season because you're always looking at maybe a little bit of slippage, but I think that the Rams have the right idea. Similar to Nagy, here's McVay, smart guy, being able to lead golf offensively, that coaching staff able to lead golf. And then, of course, we cannot forget uh, the running game because the running game was special because Todd Gurley was back there running uh, behind a really solid offensive line. So Gurley was a major factor to help Goff in that offense run. So the Rams are still a factor in the NFC. The Eagles. The question mark about the Eagles is, can Carson Wentz, their quarterback, stay healthy? An ACL in 2017, back issues in 2018, there is no Nick Foles for him to uh, rely on as a backup. Now it's the Carson Wentz show. Is that show good enough to be able to help the Eagles? Now I will tell you that Philadelphia, more, even more so than the Rams, I believe the Eagles are a serious threat to win the NFC this upcoming season because that's a championship coaching staff. They have Howie Roseman, who is one of the best VPs in football. Every time the Eagles need something, Roseman's right there with a stamp of approval and hitting the right buttons to help the Eagles find quality players to replace them the holes on that football team. And, and similar to what we see with the Bears here by getting Khalil Mack and being able to plug holes defensively and also providing weapons for Trubisky, the Eagles and Roseman do a very good job with that. As we talk about the NFC and the Bears with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. And there's always the Green Bay Packers, right? Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the game. And the number one storyline for me when it comes to Green Bay is harmony. The harmony that has to take place between the new head coach, Matt LaFleur, and Aaron Rodgers. It's wait and see for how that's going to develop. All I know is that Aaron Rodgers has already used the phrase fake news when it comes to how the media is handling the relationship between LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. And the whole thing is interesting when he uses the term fake news because twice we heard Aaron Rodgers already talk about how he wants to audible, but Matt LaFleur doesn't like the audibling, so there's a problem there. Then Aaron Rodgers does not like to be able to share practice time with another team. He wants to practice against his own team, so he doesn't want to deal with that. And LaFleur says, no, I'm going to do this every year. I want other teams to come in and play us. So already there's a disconnect there. But even though Aaron Rodgers says all this stuff is not true, even though Aaron Rodgers is saying this stuff on the record, he says it's fake news. We push him to the side. And we take a look at the team as a whole. It's wait and see on the Packers' defense as well. I think Gutenkunst, their general manager, has filled the gaps nicely. It's a different dynamic with Green Bay than years past under Ted Thompson. When Ted Thompson was the general manager for the Packers, the one thing that is always frustrating for us as Bears fans is that 
every time that they would sign someone, every time they draft someone, they'd sign that person right away, lock them in because they always were able to be what 85, 90% on their draft picks and be able to resign those guys. That was kind of the Thompson philosophy under Gutenkunst, their general manager. I, he's filled in, filled it nicely with free agents, something that the Packers hadn't done a lot of in the past, but Nonetheless, it'll be interesting to see how the Packers are going to be able to um, compete this year. Rodgers is there. You've got some new faces there. They're, that's a team to be concerned with the NFC North. NFC, definitely, but NFC North for sure. The New Orleans Saints. The Saints with Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. What a one-two-three punch, right, for the Saints. Think about the Bears and then think about the Saints. Drew Brees, a veteran quarterback that has been around for such a long time, 40 years old, could have made, maybe went to the Super Bowl last year. Who knows if it wasn't for some bad calls down the stretch. But it's a team that's pretty solid. Uh, here's what I like about the Saints. Brees, Thomas, Kamara. Thomas signed for his uh, $100 million deal as a wide receiver. Alvin Kamara, a terrific running back for the Saints. A solid offensive line has helped Breeze stay upright. A ball-hawking secondary. It's one of the best teams in the NFC, no doubt. No matter if the Bears have to face them or not, it's still going to be a team to be concerned with because the Saints are just that good. Veteran Leighton team that's been around for a while here. And Breeze is destined to win a second Super Bowl. Will it happen this year? Gotta find out. How about the Minnesota Vikings? I'm gonna throw them in our conversation as far as six teams I'm keeping our eyes on in the NFC, other than the Bears. Because Kirk Cousins underachieved. But you know what also underachieved on that Vikings team last year? That offensive line. The offensive line was worse than actually Kirk Cousins. If you're able to measure who was good and who was not so good, Kirk Cousins underachieved. The old line was actually worse. Rick Spielman, their general manager, added uh, Bradbury and Klein on that offensive line to be able to help the Vikings. No Super Bowl, no Zimmer next year. I'm calling it right now. If the Vikings don't get to the mountaintop, in which I thought they were going to get there last year, because all I thought they needed was a quarterback, I didn't know how rickety that offensive line was, how janky that offensive line was. If the if the Vikings don't get there this year, Zimmer will be fired. I don't think there's any question. And you know who else knows that? Chicago's own Mike Zimmer. He also knows that, too. <laughs> he's hinted around that last couple of years. Great personality, and uh, I think he's a very good coach. But at some point, you got to figure, like, when will it happen for the Vikings? And so um, so I, I, I look forward to seeing what the Vikings are going to bring here because I thought they were set last year. Not so set because Cousins, guaranteed money aside, all they needed was a, a – durable quality quarterback and they got that at times but boy down the stretch they just really faltered and underachieved as a team and one more in my six pack of teams that the bears have to be concerned with the nfc and that my friends is the dallas cowboys so the jones family jerry and stephen jones jerry the owner and stephen his son have coined the phrase we have a distribution dilemma by god a distribution dilemma when it comes to trying to figure out should they sign Dak Prescott, a quarterback? Should they sign wide receiver Amari Cooper? Or should they sign Zeke Elliott, their running back? The NFL is set up clearly 
So that way you don't have to, that you can't sign all your players unless you are uh, someone that can be able to stretch out your budget because of the salary cap. Uh, and it's just one of these things that Adam Schefter talked to, to uh, us about earlier. Schefter was talking about the Dallas Cowboys, and I'll go into what I think about the Cowboys in just a moment. But let's go back and hear from Adam Schefter, because when you look at the NFL, it's not designed for the Cowboys to keep everybody. There's so many details. It is very difficult to say that a guy turned down this or expected that. There are ongoing discussions between the two sides. The Cowboys have made it clear they want to make him a highly paid quarterback. Stephen Jones has said they've offered him $30-plus million a year. They don't have a deal yet. So for whatever reason, they're struggling to get it done. They haven't found the meeting place to get this done. They want to get the Dak deal done. The issue for the Dallas Cowboys is they want to get Dak done. They want to get Amari Cooper done. They want to get Zeke Elliott done. They want to get Jalen Smith done. They want to get Byron Jones Jones done. Travis Frederick done. That's a lot of deals yeah. and a lot of players. And as much as you want to keep them all, that's the way the NFL system is built, not to keep them all. So thoughts there from Adam Schefter. And let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys because you do have a choice, right? You got to go from the wide receiver, Amari Cooper, and you think about it. Michael Thomas, the NFL's highest paid wide receiver on Wednesday, was, was signed last Wednesday. His deal was worth $100 million with $61 million guaranteed. Huge money. And Amari Cooper said that was a big contract. Good for him. That was his quote last Thursday. <laughs> and he doesn't know if, if that's going to uh, help his negotiations or help his leverage. But Dak Prescott is the quarterback for this team. And I'm sure he wants Cooper to be around. He wants Zeke to come around. But Amari Cooper who really made a difference for the Cowboys last year. Remember how the Cowboys started the season? And now look at them now. Uh, A a team that uh, was destined for something special last year. I I really believe that Zeke and Cooper was part of that turnaround uh, and that offensive line for the Cowboys. So Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, keep in mind, looks at his numbers and says, you know what, I should be making $40 million, not $30 million. So he already has come out and said, you know, I want to be able to make more than what I'm making right now because he's on his rookie deal. And then Zeke Elliott, still chilling in Cabo, has not come to training camp in Dallas. And you look at him and you're like, man, Todd Gurley's deal was four years, $60 million. And I'm sure that Zeke Elliott says, well, I'm one of the reasons why the offense works. How come you won't pay me? And that's a whole different kettle of fish. When you think about the running back in the NFL in 2019, is Zeke Elliott worth a ton of money on the same level as Todd Gurley or others at the running back position in 2019 when it's about receiving and when it's about other things offensively? But the point is of this team is that the Cowboys are ready to win now. And so it's about signing the quality players, maybe two of them, maybe one of them. But I believe it starts with the quarterback because we've never seen as many terrific quarterbacks as we've seen right now in the NFL. Dak Prescott's one of them. Dak Prescott and Mitch Trubisky, I think, um, have some similarities, but I think Dak might have a a leg up. But without Zeke Elliott, is he a guy that can get down the field, can be able to pass the the football? Is he someone that can be able to be a prolific passer for the Cowboys? Difference maker with Amari Cooper. I have no idea. I have no idea. But that's what you look at. Those are the six teams we're looking at. 
It's one thing to look at the Bears and say, can the Bears win this week? Yes, maybe no. Can the Bears win in, in week two? Yes, maybe no. It's more than that. If you think the Bears are a playoff team, your focus is, can they beat some of the quality teams in FC North? Three things we talked about yesterday. The three items that people talk to you about the Bears the most. They ask you about the kicker. They ask you about Trubisky. They ask you about the defense without Vic Fangio. Those are three things that's talked about so much when it comes to the Bears. We talked about this yesterday. And so when I look at the Eagles and I look at the Rams and the Packers and the Saints and the Vikings and the Cowboys, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, it is uh, it's daunting because as good as I think the Bears are, the regular season does mean something because you're, you're trying to build towards something. But now you got to continue to build up your stamina, build up how good you can be offensively. So that way, when you take on some of the better teams of the NFC, the Bears are ready. I went to Facebook, by the way, Facebook.com, Jonathan Hood, and asked that question. Which team could be the biggest obstacle for the Bears in the NFC this year? Kamar Zuman, who was the first one to check in, he said the Rams. To He says to be the team in the NFC, you've got to beat the team. And he thinks that the Rams are the number one team. Brock Robinson says the Saints. He says the Saints are the team. is the biggest obstacle for the Chicago Bears. Dan says it's either these four teams. He says it's either the Falcons, it's either the Vikings, the Saints, or the Rams. It's funny, I didn't mention the, the Falcons. Don't know what they are from a defensive line standpoint. So... Yeah, don't know what they're going to be defensively. Offensively speaking, yes. Defensively, a pretty scattershot. Uh, Eduardo says, as long as Rodgers is around, I would take the Packers. So those are some of the comments on Facebook as far as teams that are the biggest obstacle for the Bears in the NFC this season. All right, we're going to have an update with Jesse Rogers coming up from Philadelphia. And still to come, we'll talk about the uh, the rule, the so-called rule that was put out there by the NCAA, a rule that went away very quickly, the Rich Paul rule with Justin Tinsley from uh, theundefeated.com. That's coming up next as you're listening to UTH. You're listening to my mans and them. Just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right? Jay Hood. <laughs> on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll have summer of football for you coming up at the top of the hour. We'll talk some college football with Adam Rittenberg, who covers college football for ESPN. We'll talk to him at 810 right here on ESPN 1000. Right now, we have a special guest on the line with us here, Justin Tinsley from TheUndefeated.com. You can find his column entitled, The NCAA Doesn't Have a Rich Paul Problem, as a Problem with Black Men. In this column, Justin writes, earlier this week, the NCAA implemented what was immediately labeled the Rich Paul Rule, after the man who represents the NBA players, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Draymond Green, John Wall, Ben Simmons, and the 2019 first-round draft picks, Darius Garland and Darius Baisley. The new regulations require that agents interested in representing players who are considering declaring for the NBA draft must now have a bachelor's degree, be certified with the National Basketball Players Association for at least three years, and take a comprehensive in-person exam at the NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis. Well, now the NCAA says, screw that, we're not doing that now. 
what made them go the opposite direction? A complete 180 on this. We turn now to Justin Tinsley, who wrote the piece on TheUndefeated.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I know that the story has changed, but I still want to have you on to talk about this uh, story about the Rich Paul rule that you wrote on TheUndefeated.com. What was your initial reaction to the Rich Paul rule? Oh, man, when I initially heard it, uh, I, I think I was like everybody else. Like, this this seems odd. One, because it just focused on basketball. And, you know, so your mind starts to race then. And as I said in the piece, it was just more so like, this is a race-neutral rule. I don't, I don't think the NCAA said, oh, let's create a rule that only applies to strictly black people. I don't think they came in there with that focus because – uh, obviously, Condoleezza Rice oversees a committee where, you know, they're trying to oversee, you know, events and happenings in college sports. And the NCAA took the suggestions from that, and they implemented in that. Now, the thing is, oftentimes in life, intention doesn't match execution and vice versa. And it just didn't match it this time. So when you are telling – when you're trying to govern a sport that is primarily black, I don't think that's a secret to anybody – and telling them, well, we're going to change the rules up for agents because we're trying to protect the integrity of the players, when, to be quite honest with you, the NCAA doesn't have the greatest track record in that. So that's, that was my initial thought process behind it. So what made the NCAA do a complete 180 of their decision? I mean, I mean it was swift after columns like yours, commentaries. It was swift that they had an about-face about that particular uh, edict that they put forth. Well, I think, you know, especially now living in the climate that we do now, the court of public, excuse me, court of public opinion is such a damning court. And the the response to this was overwhelmingly against this rule. And I think that, you know, a lot of a lot of people probably contacted the NCAA that, you know, that weren't on TV, that didn't write articles. And they were telling them like this. This just doesn't work. Like it doesn't look good for you. This is not a good PR stance, and it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt the sport if you rescind the rule. Now, the thing that makes them look bad is the rule wasn't even a week old before it got rescinded. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they, it, this wasn't a this was never about just Rich Paul. Yes, uh, he is the face of that rule, and he 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 was he, he was partially affected by that. But I think this was about stopping the next next rich Paul, and that's where the issue came. Because when you're dealing with basketball, you're dealing with a lot. You're dealing with a lot of guys that come from different backgrounds that may not, uh, you know, requ- not not necessarily require, but may not have guys that went to college because college is a choice. And if, if you're saying that having a bachelor's degree is the basically the cutoff point, well, okay, you're you're a qualified agent if you have a bachelor's degree or you don't. I know a bunch of people who have bachelor's degrees that aren't working in their in their field. You know, that doesn't make them, you know, more or less qualified than the next person. So I just think they knew that, okay, by the time they passed this rule, maybe in theory, in their minds, they thought it was a good idea, but in, in practice, no, it was just never going to work because it was never going to stop what was already going to keep happening anyway. Justin Tinsley from the undefeated.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN apps. We talk about this so-called uh, Rich Paul rule. So um, could you explain to our audience the desegregation of football and basketball programs in the NCAA? Because I believe those numbers are very significant about how the NCAA looks at it and how, you know, what is really real with that. Yeah, 
well, look, they're, they're, I say in the piece, one of the worst kept secrets in all of sports and is how desegregation impacted HBCUs. Because beforehand, you know, these, these black players, they could really, they, they could only go to uh, HBCUs and not the predominantly white institutions, at least not in the droves that they would eventually go. And once once that barrier was broken down and uh, black athletes, men and women, started to go to these predominantly white institutions, the, the HBCUs were kind of left on the back burner. This is uh, because HBCUs have been chronically underfunded in comparison to their bigger, you know, more nationally televised counterparts. And when you think about it, especially in the era before the Internet, if you're trying to go professional in a sport, you're going to you want to go to the biggest school that you could possibly go because they're going to be on TV. They're going to get the most marketing X, Y and Z. And now, it's, it, you know, HBCUs could never compete with that. So they were they were placed behind an eight ball that they can't move because there's no way, you know, Grambling is ever going to get the funding that Ohio State or Alabama does. It's just not going to happen, at least not in my lifetime. So how, how are they supposed to compete with these bigger schools? And so when you look at uh, USC, the University of Southern California, published uh, a really interesting report in 2018. Uh, Sean Harper published it as to where, you know, black, black male student athletes make up 2.4% of the Power Five conferences. And for anybody not to know, that's the Big Ten, that's the Big 12, that's the SEC, that's the Pac-12, and the ACC. They, black male student athletes make up 2.4% of the student population, but they make up 55 and 56% of the basketball and football teams. And the black male population on those teams graduate at around, uh, I, believe, I, believe, I don't have my story pulled up in front of me right now, but at least at a 56% clip mm-hmm. as to where compared to all other black males that aren't playing on teams that are, are around 64, 65%. And just the, the overall just graduation uh, clip is around 76%. So, when you look at this rule, it's kind of it was kind of productive because we're not emphasizing the importance of graduation for these black male student athletes, but we want to emphasize the importance of graduation for the agents that want to rep them in basketball. So, like, I, if we're going to emphasize graduation, we got to emphasize it across the board, and if we're going to emphasize this agency rule just in basketball. We got to do it across the board because, but they weren't doing that. It was just for basketball, and I think that's where a lot of people saw. The, the racial lens. And to be quite honest with you, the NCAA doesn't really have the greatest track record in that regard to buck back against it. I mean, it's it's as obvious as the nose on your face that the discrepancy and the bias that was going to be levied by the NCAA regarding this, Justin, because you are really looking at basketball. Uh, college hockey did mm-hmm. not have that, that particular legislation put forth by the NCAA like last week. You know, other sports didn't have that, but basketball, yes. Uh, so that's, it's, it's not surprising, but it's just, um, it is is one of these things where it just really illustrates the tone deafness of the NCAA again. They have a lot of things that are wrong, but that right there told me, man, are you still living in 1960? Right. And, you know, like, I understand Rich Paul is is an anomaly in terms of just, you know, the opportunities that he had. And, and just, you know, how call it spade is spade, man. Rich Paul is really damn good at his job. Mm-hmm. He's really damn good at his job. But, you know, a lot, you know, there's so many kids and so many communities that 
may not have the opportunity to go to college. And just because you don't go to college doesn't mean you're trying to make you're not trying to make anything out of your life. I think that is a very, very dangerous stereotype that I believe large pockets of America still have. And when this rule was passed, as you just said the, the, the correct phrase, it was tone deaf. It was so tone deaf that, you know, that's the that's the narrative that it was pushing to uh, of large pockets of America, and even and even the young young men and women that will be coming from these communities, like, oh, I have to get a bachelor's degree to to make something of myself. Like, yes, if you go to college, I went to college. I have two degrees. That that doesn't mean I'm more qualified than somebody else in you know in a field that I have no experience in, and somebody that has really dedicated their lives and their passions towards toward achieving. So, uh, tone deaf. I, I believe that's the that's the phrase that actually pays right now. Justin, well, what's, can't say page because we're talking about the NCAA. But oh yeah, <laughs> right. Well, Justin, you know it's interesting about comedy. One of the things that's interesting about comedy is that there's always truth within the words of comedy. And you laid out a couple of them in your column on theundefeated.com. We asked you to go there while we have our conversation and read what Justin had to say about this story before the NCAA uh, did a 180 on this. The Chris Rock piece I think is brilliant. Chris Rock explained the context for the NCAA mandate years ago, where only 10 percent of the population he said on the 2004 never scared and we're 90 percent of the final four so yeah. so true yeah. right <laughs> yeah i mean there's so much truth in comedy and i remember i was watching i believe i was watching that stand up with my mom ooh, well over a decade ago so that was oh four it had to be i was you know ironically i was in college when when it came out mm-hmm. and i remember my mom saw it and my mom is a graduate of hbcu south carolina state and, you know, we would always talk about the discrepancies in, in HBCU sports and larger school sports. And she would, that would always be one of her main gripes is like, we have all these young black men and young black women, you know, producing at high levels at these schools, but they're, they're pretty much an anomaly on their own campus because not many people look like them and not many people understand their stories and they, they're there because they can provide a service. And my mom, uh, my, that joke has always stuck out with my mom, and by proxy, it's always stuck out with me. So when this story came up, and I was presented it about possibly writing on this, and I was pitching it, I was like, that joke just stuck out in my head. Because I don't know if the numbers were actually 10% and 90% like they were there, but, <laughs> but that, that was beyond the point. The point was that these, these, young, these young black kids are being, you know, recruited and given scholarships to these universities, but they're really given scholarships to these universities by what they bring instead of like who they are and wanting to learn more about who they are. By the way, Justin, it'll be a separate column and a separate conversation one day that you and I will have, but with, with television networks like Aspire and BET and TV one and bounce and revolt, um, there are platforms for MEAC and, uh, and SWAC schools to be on live Instead of being on tape delay at twelve thirty when you come home from the party, like oh, there's daylight. Those game that this game must be tape delayed. It's it sucks. It does because here we are in twenty nineteen and I'm going through the same things I saw twenty years ago looking for because here's the thing, in the draft you will find an HBCU player. It'll be late in the draft, but the but the point is is that it could be those players could be um uh shown and elevated higher in the NFL draft if 
more people saw them, if they had more acclaim in columns. And when it's when it's tape delayed at twelve thirty at night, it's hard for people to really latch on to some of these teams and these stories. So there's plenty of networks mm-hmm. to go around that should show these things live, but that it hasn't happened yet. You know, it's wild because I, I was out somewhere a couple of weeks ago, and you know, when you're you know at a happy hour, obviously sports are a topic of conversation. There was a mixed crowd around me and people you know especially i'm sure you get it all the time like oh i work for espn is like oh somebody in that group wants to challenge you like oh well who led the league in scoring in 1997 is like (laughs) bro man i'm just trying to enjoy this whiskey and ginger i'm not trying to you know what i mean you're a teacher i don't i don't ask you about your iep plans you know what i mean but uh so the 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 guy kept asking me questions and i so i asked him uh, for full transparency, it, you know, it, it was he was a white guy, and mm-hmm. I asked him like, so who was the last HBCU quarterback drafted in the first round of the, of the NFL draft? Right. And I was like, if you get this right, I will buy your next four rounds of drinks. And I, you can't Google it, of course. Of course, I didn't have to buy it for him because he didn't know it. And I don't think a lot of people know it. The last HBCU quarterback drafted in the first round, to my knowledge, if I'm wrong, then I got to buy somebody else four rounds. Uh, it's Steve McNair Correct. in 1995. Yep. And a lot of people don't know Steve McNair in his 1994 season, man, at Alcorn State. That is one of the greatest college football seasons of all time. He had damn near 6,000 total yards. But a lot of people just don't know that. A lot of people think of Steve McNair, unfortunately, how his life ended. But they think about his playing career. You know, he was a co-MVP. Uh, he was a yard away from winning the Super Bowl. Like, But a lot of people don't know how that football story, at least on a national scale, started. And I think if Alcorn State had a fourth of the opportunity to market itself and be on TV like any other of these big SEC schools, like the narrative would be totally different. But it's never been like that, and I don't know when it'll change. Uh, Just the last thing I have for you, and I appreciate your time. Does Rich Paul scare sports figures and significant with significant capital and power, in your view? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He scares him. He scares him because, um, one, of who of who he stands beside, of course, being LeBron James. And LeBron James is the most powerful basketball player we've ever seen. Um, I'm not saying he is the GOAT. I think he is, but I'm not saying he's the GOAT in terms of a wide scale uh, opinion. But he is the most powerful basketball player we've ever seen. But he also scares a lot of people because he's unconventional. Uh, again, he doesn't have the bachelor's degree. He doesn't come from the big business school. He was selling jerseys, and he and LeBron linked up, and obviously the story is what it is now. But the dude is a hustler. The dude will put himself in rooms and communities where a lot of these other guys can't go to. And to be quite honest with you, he scares people because he's young, he's black, he's successful, and he's confident. And his work speaks for itself. Because you could probably think of, 50 words you've probably ever heard Rich Paul speak, and that and that's if you haven't watched the ESPN Plus uh, series on uh, the Four Horsemen crew. But he scares a lot of people, and I think that's partially why that rule was invented, because like if there's one Rich Paul out there, there's got to be hundreds more behind him just waiting to come through the door, because that's always been part of who uh, LRMR has always been. They didn't want to just be the guy to just walk through the door. They wanted to be the guys to open the door and then leave it open for everybody else behind them that deserves the opportunity. And I think that scares a lot of people because when you're when you're unconventional, and when you shake up when you shake up the status quo, what the norm actually looks like, 
Yeah, the, uh, people people don't people don't deal well with change, as we can see in in, in a lot of walks of life. So, and it's just one of. Them. Justin, as always, I appreciate your your insight. We saw that column, and we had to have you on to talk about it, even though the NCAA said, well, maybe this is not a, a good idea. It's the idea that they revealed themselves and thinking that this was a good idea. This is why we had you on to talk about it, so I'm glad you spent some time. Hey, thank you for always having me on, man. I look forward to seeing you in D.C. next summer. Absolutely. You certainly will. <laughs> Justin Tisley All from right, the man. Undefeated.com with me, Jonathan Hood. One question is next. Jonathan Hood. <laughs> If you know, you know, when we all clicking like Golden State and you and your team are the motorcade, you know, you know, on ESPN 1000, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. ESPN and the ACC bring you the ACC Network coming in 10 days where the conference's 15 championship winning programs will call home. Irish fans get ACCN with DirecTV, Hulu, PlayStation View, and YouTube TV. Get ACCN.com to see if your provider will carry ACCN. If you don't see yours listed, contact them today and demand it, especially for you Irish fans that want to find out what's going on in the ACC. Find out if ACCN is in your area. So some people just don't have time for like a full interview because they're busy. We're, we're on weeknights. But sometimes, sometimes they just have time for one question. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? I am number one. Number one. Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. Indeed, it is time for one question. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app will have summer football coming up after Sports Center. We'll talk some college football with uh, Adam Rittenberg. If you're a college football fan of know one, tell him to check in because we'll review the upcoming college football season. So for one question, I said, Davis, go through your phone. Go through the B's. Go through the C's. Go through the A's. And I looked over on his phone. I said, stop right there. A-A-R-O-N, Aaron Dotson from TheUndefeated.com. Columnist for TheUndefeated.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, for one question here on ESPN 1000. What's up, Aaron? What's up, man? How's it going? I'm going very well, thank you. Are you ready, sir, for one question? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous, though, but hit me. (laughs) Everybody's always nervous for one question. All right, Aaron, here it is. Here's your one question. What is... The Mount Rushmore of shoes that you would wear all time in pickup basketball games. Oh wow, that's incredible! Um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna say the Kyrie Four. Um, I'm gonna say the T Mac Two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna say the Harachi Two K Four. And I will say the Zoom Freak One, Giannis's new shoe. <laughs> you know, Tinsley told me to ask you. Justin Tinsley was just on the program. <laughs> he told me to ask you with that question. <laughs> and of course, you came through like a champ. No surprise. <laughs> Appreciate it. Any of those shoes from before 2015? I don't think they are. Yeah, yeah, the the, the T-Mac 2 is, is from the late 90s, early 2000s, so I That's had to right. throw that one in there. <laughs> it's 
And that, my friends, is one question. You're listening to Jonathan Hood. I'm all in my bag as hard as it gets. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.